This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Go ahead and find a chair. Have a seat. Ah, boy, it's a great Sunday to be in church. Did you enjoy the rain? Yes, that's awesome. And uh, don't you love it when the sun comes out after the rain? That's pretty cool. So what a great time to be in church. Uh, It's a great Sunday for those of you uh, who might be brand new to New Life. My name is Ron. I'm uh, the founding pastor of New Life, and I'll walk us through uh, some teaching. Every Sunday at New Life is a Sunday of learning, it's a Sunday of growth, and it's a Sunday of change. I tell people all the time, we never sort of phone it in on a Sunday. There's an agenda that God has for us and something He wants to do in our life and uh, this morning will be no exception. Um, this is also a big Sunday at New Life in, for lots of reasons. When you came in the lobby, you saw all the stuff going on out there, but I want to tell you about some stuff that you may or may not have seen. Last Sunday, we baptized 11 people in this church. This past weekend, on Friday and Saturday, all day Friday, and all day Saturday, we had 50 or so people from our church at a legacy leadership training retreat. And this marked, yes, that was, was an awesome time. It marks the end of a year-long journey of training for leadership. These are people who have said to God, I want my life to make a difference. Would you show me how to leverage whatever leadership opportunity you have given me in my life? Would you show me how to leverage that in ways that make a difference in other people's lives? And I I tell you, I, I could not be more excited about that. What a great time. Also this weekend, it's uh, sort of the culmination of our season of giving, and that's why those big tanks that we baptized people in last week are filled with turkeys. No, we're not baptizing turkeys. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. There's, there's opportunities for all sorts of things out there in the lobby. It's just a very exciting and wonderful time uh, to be part of this church and part of what God is doing in and through our church. For those of you who are brand new, I, I want to invite you into the learning, growing, and changing process. Because church is not a religious hoop that we jump through in order to make God happy. Church was God's designed way of helping us learn how to live life. Helping us learn how to become the people that we've always known we could be and should be. And we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. And as a church, we take our responsibility in that very seriously. And we want to help you in that process. So in order to do that... We always provide this card in in your program. And on the front side, it says start here, and there's a place for your contact information. And I would encourage you, put as much information down there as possible as you're comfortable. Please put at least your name and email address so we have some way to get in touch with you. So when the time comes that you're ready to take the next step in your spiritual growth and journey, uh, that we have a way to, to partner with you and can connect with you. And that, on the back... There, there's places to request information about various ministries and services uh, that we offer in the church. There's a place at the bottom for you to sign up for things that you could read about in the program that you see there. And there's also a place for you to um, ask us to pray about something that's going on 
in your life, and we would love to do that. And then uh, the second tool is this half sheet of notes. They will guide you through what I'm going to teach us about over the next 30 minutes or so. And uh, that's just provided for your learning. Um, We are in the middle of a series called Those People, okay? And these are a group of people that I have a special name for. I call them EGR people. You know what that means? Extra grace required people. We all have those in our life, right? Today we're going to talk a little bit about the hypocrite. Take a look at the video screens. I think you'll find this interesting. Trust is a special kind of currency. Once gained, you can easily lose it. The easiest way to do that is by talking out of both sides of your mouth. Charles Tan, the king of do as I say, not as I do. Jake, my boy, good to see ya. Hypocrites make my heart hurt. Oh, never touch this stuff. The smell of your breath disagrees with you. <laughs> you know, you're too self-focused, Jake. There's a lot of people out there that need your help. Who do you help? I gave it the office. Hypocrites have a way of getting under my skin like a nasty bug bite. Those people. We all got them, right? Yes, yes. Well, this morning, I'm going to do a little bit of a twist on that particular topic, okay? Uh, And so I'm going to walk us through the whole concept of hypocrisy and so forth, but I want to start with a couple of understandings that, um, wow, as he said, that make my heart hurt. Uh, The first is really good, though. Did you know the number one reason that people give for why they investigated Christianity and ended up becoming a Christian. You know what the number one reason is? They saw other Christians. And they said, wow, there's something different about them. There's something wonderfully different about them. They have a strength and a peace and a poise. And there's a kindness and a joy and a love and an unshakability that they have that I don't have in my life. There's just a difference in quality in how they live. And they said, I want that. And I think that's great. And that story would be true of many of us here. If we were to go back and look at our journey, we would say, wow, God brought this person into my life and that began to change how I view Jesus and church and all that stuff. But on the flip side of that coin, did you know the number one reason that people give for why they're not Christians is other Christians. Because unfortunately, they've run into somebody whose walk was a long ways from their talk. Or maybe several somebodies. And they said, don't need that. And in fact, when you press into those people and and you say to them, what specifically about the Christians you've observed, what specifically is offensive to you the the most often cited reason is hypocrisy. You know, Jake in the video said, hypocrites make my heart hurt. I believe hypocrites make God's heart hurt. Not so much angry as hurt. 
So this is a subject that's really worth pressing into, and we're going to press into it over the next few minutes um, in, in a number of ways. So the first thing that we saw is that, well, hypocrites are the reason that many people don't come. So how, how do we get to be that way? Well, the first thing you need to know is that we are all born with two natures, fully alive in us. We are all born with two natures, and one is a whole nature. It's a wholesome nature. It's a healthy nature, and the other is a broken nature, and it's the opposite of that one in every way. It's destructive, and it's harmful, and it does terrible things. And if you have been the privilege of parenting a child, you have seen both of those natures fully active. You look at your children and in a moment of unbelievable clarity and generosity, they will do something that will just astound and amaze you. And I mean, it's generous, it's kind, and it's thoughtful, and it's sacrificial, and it's helpful, and it's good, and it's wonderful. And you have this fleeting thought on the inside where you say, why can't they be like that all the time? Right? We've all seen that. And sometimes it's not 10 minutes later that same child is doing something that's selfish and unkind and demeaning and and destructive and nasty. And you think, I think they have a demon. (laughs) Same kid, 10 minutes apart. And that's because all of us have these two natures that are on the inside of us. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in his own experience, even years after he became a Christian and followed Christ. You you still don't get rid of that broken nature. God has something he does with it. But this is Paul's experience. He said, I've discovered this principle of life. He said, I see this in everybody, that when I want to do what is right, (laughs) I end up doing what's wrong. Have you ever noticed sometimes that the harder you try, the worse you perform? Yeah. Yeah. In lots of areas. He goes on to say, I love God's law with my heart. There's that good nature on the inside of me, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. We sang about that in one of the songs this morning. We sang, my heart is a shifting shadow. And in the next phrase, my heart is a raging battle. He's talking about this. He goes on to say, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. And he, he gives us a sneak peek at the answer. Thank God, the answer is in whom? Jesus Christ. I want to show you how that works today. And I want to show you the principles that go into how life works and how we can, without even meaning to, we can end up to be the person whose walk doesn't match the talk and we become offensive to someone else. And so that's the first thing we need to know, that we are born with these two natures. The next thing that we need to know is that in all of our lives, there's a gap between where we are today, this is our present behavior, and the person we should be. And we all know that there's a gap between this person and this person. And that's because of that broken nature that we have. 
and it creates this gap and this tension in our lives. Every single one of us has that gap. Now, when we look at the gap, there are typically five different common responses to that gap because most of us find it impossible to ignore the gap. So we have to respond to it in some way. And the first way that we often respond is by denial. Now, very few of us would be so pompous and arrogant as to say, I don't have a gap. I am exactly the person I should be. And if you struggle with that, find anybody who knows you and ask them what your gap is, and they will not stutter. Okay? Because in all of us, there's this big gap. Mother Teresa openly talked about the fact that in spite of all the things she had done, that there was a big gap in her life. Billy Graham has, has often said that. You know, no matter who you are, no one will confuse you with the person that you could be and should be. So what, do we, how, what does our denial look like? Well, our denial often looks like, you know, this is the way I was made. Our denial often looks like, well, I'm not so bad. Our denial often looks like, well, I've made a lot of progress. Our denial often looks like um, anything that sort of takes us off of the hot seat. We can say that. Now, here's what happens in our mind. Our subconscious mind says, if somehow I can act like I don't have this gap, I'm a good moral person. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't abuse my, my, my kids. I, I work hard at work. I don't steal. I don't rape people. I, I'm, I'm a good person. In other words, I don't really have a gap. Then I can relieve myself of the tension and the reality of the gap that's there. And it's as if my mind has told me, you don't have a gap. And of course, it always feels better to feel like we don't have a gap. But sooner or later, the stark reality of the fact that the gap exists comes into our life, and oftentimes the next thing that we do is, if I have a gap, I just need to find someone to blame it on. Well, if you were raised in my home, if you met my parents, if you met my teachers, if you had my boss, if, if, if you went to my school, then you would understand why my behavior is what it is. And you know, it's just another level of the same thing. Only this one says, I have a gap, but it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And therefore, if it's somebody else's fault, I don't have to deal with it, and I can just sort of remove myself from any tension around this. By the way, one of the biggest ones here, and you may have said this, I know you've heard people say it, well, it's just how I am. I was born with a short temper. That's just how I am. Do you realize you threw God under the bus? Yeah. Now you're blaming Him for how He made you. So we try denial, we try blame, 
pretty soon we realize, you know something? This is not their life. It's my life. It's my responsibility. And so usually we step into some form of self-help. And that is, I need to do something about this. I'm sick and tired of being who I, who I am. And I really want to start moving toward the person I should be. So we download a book onto, onto, onto you know, our tablet and we start to read or we go buy a DVD series. <clears throat> we start doing things to, to help us begin to improve the person that we are. And you know, the amazing thing is we start moving that direction, which is a very good thing. We actually become a better person. That's the good news. The bad news is, no matter how hard we try, there's still quite a bit of gap left. Then we're better than we were. But we realize, man, I've thrown all the spaghetti I own at the wall. And it's all slumping in a pile on the floor. And I'm not making any more progress. And I'm stuck. And when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when many of us turn to religion. After my third DUI, I decided I need some help. And I've, I've tried, or after my second or third marriage, I, I need some help. i I got to figure this out. Or after, after my husband or my wife says to me, you either show up at church and go talk to the pastor or I'm done, I'm walking out. And can I tell you, there are a number of people in our church, and I love this. That's how I get to meet them. They show up in my office, and they go, you haven't met me, but you know my wife or my husband. (laughs) And I'm here not because I want to be, but I'm here because this is the ultimatum. That's a fun way to meet somebody. I'm their punishment. (laughs) But you know what's so cool? I've watched so many of those people. They will look me up a year or two later and they will say, Pastor, I can't tell you how changed my life is. And it started the day that my wife or my husband said, here's your punishment. Yeah. Now, Here's what I want you to know about this. There's a world of difference between being a religious person and following Christ. Oftentimes, what we try in religion is, if I go to church more than twice a year, maybe I'll feel better about myself. So we go five or six times during the year. And think, if I just jump through enough religious hoops. Or if, if you were raised in a church that has confession, if I just go to confession and I confess my sins, I'll feel better about myself. Or let's just say that you, you're in a church that has a temple. If I just go to the temple and, 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 and burn the right incense, or if, if, if I go offer the right kinds of sacrifices, or you just name it, what, whatever the religion is. Oftentimes we think, if I just jump through enough religious hoops, somehow I'll feel better about this gap. But the interesting thing about that kind of religion is it doesn't actually change 
a person's behavior. It changes where they go on Sunday morning or on Friday or on Saturday or maybe even on Tuesday. But it doesn't change their nature. Now, people that get really creative combine those two and they try a form of what I call religious self-help. And the idea here is, if I go to church and learn, and then I go home and I work really, really hard at, at, at applying what I learned at church, then I can actually clean up my life and I can present to God a good life because God deserves a good life from me. And while that's noble and while that's honorable, can I tell you, that that's not successful. Because the truth is, no matter who you are, that's not going to happen in your life, no matter how hard you try. Those are the five typical ways that we respond. Now, here's what you need to see. Hypocrisy is what happens in this gap. Okay? When I take my tension and... and I sort of act like it's not there, either through denial or blame. And oftentimes the hypocrisy gets deeper the further down this list we go because, man, if I'm going to church and I'm wearing the label Christian, it's really hard for me to be transparent about this gap in my life because then people will think that somehow I'm not a real Christian. And so the tendency then is to cover what's going on in here. And so hypocrisy is what happens in that gap. By the way, that gap, as I said earlier, is the thing that all of us as human beings have in common. It's why in our church there is no us and them. It's why in our church we teach people all the time there's never, ever a place where one human being should feel superior to any other human being. We are just human beings. It doesn't mean that we all handle the gap the same way, and we're going to talk about that for the rest of our time. In the rest of our time, I want to talk about how God responds to our gap, but I want to teach you one more principle, okay? And this principle goes like this. When I deal properly with my own gap, the gap that's in here, I don't usually struggle with how to deal with a hypocrite that's out there. But it's when I'm not dealing properly with my own gap that I get angry and frustrated with the hypocrites out there. And that's why the best way that I could teach us for how to deal with those people is to learn how to deal with this guy. Does that make sense to everybody? Next week I'm going to teach on critical people and how to identify a critical spirit. And yes, we'll look inside too because sometimes we all have a critical spirit. We'll talk about where that comes from. But today, I want us to understand that the best way that we can deal with hypocrites out there is to deal with the gap that's in here. So how does God deal with the gap in our lives? Because he certainly is aware of it. So let me teach us about that. 
We'll put the gap back up here. The first thing that God does is God decides that he's going to clarify what the gap really is. Something I haven't talked about yet today is this is where I am and this is where I ought to be, but who decides where I ought to be? Okay? Now, in some cases, actually one of the most common things that I hear when I talk to people about who they think they ought to be is it's, it's very common for them to say, well, I want my good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. And in fact, many major religions in the world will teach you that that is the platform from which God, whoever he is, will judge you if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. I want to press into that for just a little bit because God blessed me with a mind that's, that's sort of an engineer's mind and I like to analyze things. And the more I put that to the test, the more I realize, hmm, my good deeds need to outweigh my bad deeds. So putting that in mathematical terms, that means that if I tell the truth ten times, I now get to lie nine. Would you be okay being married to someone who lied nine out of every 20 opportunities to tell the truth or a lie? No. Oh, so if I let ten people live... I can now pick off nine that I'd like to kill. You know, when you stop and think about that, that's a horrible standard. Even the worst people who live in death row of our prisons actually would pass that test. They haven't killed half the people in their world. They tell the truth far more often than they lie. That's just an awful standard. And God goes, that's not the person that you should be trying to be. Well, then somebody else comes along and goes, oh, yeah, I see the problem with that. Well, let's see, let's see, let's see. What we should try to do is be a good moral person and not break any of the big ones, right? Like we shouldn't murder and we shouldn't rape and and we shouldn't abuse people. And, and so forth. So it, it means that, that we should, the person I should be is the person who, who doesn't violate any of the biggies. Okay? Well, there's a little problem with that. And that is, who determines what the biggies should be? You know how we are as human beings? We tend to define the biggies by the ones I'm keeping. And the little ones by the ones I'm not keeping. Somebody else says, well, oh, oh, okay, I understand there's a problem there. But, you know, we have this thing called the Ten Commandments. Those are the biggies. Why don't we put the Ten Commandments here? And the goal is, I should be the kind of person that keeps the Ten Commandments. I would totally agree that that's a, that's a good thing to do. But are you sure that you want to say that the kind of person I should be is the person who never violates the Ten Commandments? Because one of those commandments is, you should not lie anywhere at any time for any reason. Are you willing to be judged by that standard? Another one of those is, you should honor your father and mother. 
Always. If you've been more than five, you have disobeyed that commandment, I know for sure. Yeah. You know what we most often put here in our own mind? Better than most. We tend to judge ourselves by, if I'm better than most of the people in my world, then I'm a good person. And you know what our mind tells us? If I'm a good person, there's no gap. Well, guess what? Here's what God does. God says, I want to clarify the gap. Here's the standard right there. It's perfection. It's Jesus. That's the person you should be. Now, right away, that's not good news. (laughs) Because that means that my gap is actually a lot bigger than I thought it might be. (laughs) Right? I have a serious problem because God says, this is the goal for my life. is to be like Jesus. To love people the way He did. To live my life the way He did. And, And so God clarifies that that's the actual gap that's in our lives. Notice how Paul writes about this. Everyone has sinned. Sin is what's in this gap. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of what? God's glorious standard who is whom? Jesus. Wow. You know, when we get that right, it automatically removes pride from the equation. Have you noticed that? You know, there are people in my world who think I'm kind, and there are people in my world who think I'm loving, and there are people in my world who think I'm thoughtful, but no one has ever confused me with Jesus. Nor will they ever. Yes. Because we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So here's the prayer. Okay? I'm going to give you three prayers. The first prayer is this. God, help me be continually aware of my own gap, not the other person's gap, of my own gap. The second thing that God does to help us with our gap is he acknowledges our inability to deal with our gap. The easiest way I can illustrate this to you is with a three-year-old child who has a toy, and in the process of playing with the toy, the toy has come apart, and the child cannot put it back together again. Okay? You as the parent look at the toy, and it's very clear what needs to happen. So you come to your child, and you say to your child, let me put that back together for you. Would you like for me to fix that? Until you acknowledge that your child cannot fix that, you won't help them. But when you acknowledge that your child can't fix that, you help them. It's the loving and kind thing to do. When God looked at our gap and he saw our broken nature that created this gap, instead of abandoning us and saying to us, you created that gap, you fix it, that would be like you saying to your three-year-old child that came apart while you were playing with it, you fix it. God acknowledged our inability. But if you've ever had a three-year-old, 
you know that sometimes when you went to that three-year-old and said, here, give that to me and I'll fix it for you, they looked at you and said, do myself. How'd that work for him? Not very good. Because the truth is, friend, it's not only important for God to recognize your inability to deal with your gap, it's important that you recognize that. And that you bring your life to God. And like a child, you say, fix it. Yeah. Here's how the Bible puts it. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Remember back at the beginning, Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this life? And he said, thank God the answer is where? In Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the third thing that God does is he makes us, well, let's give the second prayer. Here's the second prayer. God, help me to be continually aware of my own inability to make myself the person I should be. One of the easiest things to do is to start out following Christ and then somehow to slip into just becoming a religious person who's trying to give a good life back to God. God, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. I want my life to be nice for you. No, God wants, God wants to do this. The third thing that God wants to do is he wants to get in our gap with us. How fun is that? God says to us, look, here's what I'll do. If if you choose to get on board with me, I will come into your life and I will live in your heart and I will start moving you this way. And I'll begin this process. Now, the first thing he does is he promises to give us salvation. And salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. You know why? Why does God offer to give us forgiveness? Because God knows that there's all sorts of shame. There's all sorts of guilt. There's all sorts of of internal and personal condemnation that take place when we realize our sin. And God says to us, look, let me take that right off the, the chart right now. I'm going to forgive you of all of your sin. So now you don't have to hide it. Now you don't have to be ashamed of it. Now you can talk about it openly. Now we can begin to deal with this because it's no longer the big secret in your life. It's a truth that you acknowledge because I've forgiven it. And I could have pulled any one of hundreds of verses out of the Bible, but here's one. Everyone who believes in him, that's in Jesus, will have their sins forgiven. But friend, it gets far better than that. It's not just forgiveness. God God offers to do something else in our world. He offers to change us, to, to not only forgive this gap, but to begin moving us that way. And the Bible word for that is transformation. And notice what how Paul wrote about it. God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is what makes the Christian life so adventuresome because God is 
forever changing us. And just when you, God goes to work on something in your life and He enables it to change and you begin to experience a freedom in your life that you had never known before and you're so excited about that and it was challenging and it was inspiring and, and at some points it might even have been scary but God brought you through it and He enabled you to have victory and you're thinking, yeah, that's really great. And just about that time God says, now what about this? And while at some point that might seem a little discouraging, can I tell you how discouraging, even more discouraging it would be if God were to say to you and me, well, that's it. I'm all done. You're just stuck like that. Thank God you made a little progress. That's the great thing about walking with Jesus. You know, I I don't know how long God will give me. I've been walking with Jesus for 45 years. I actually, longer than that, I've been walking with Jesus 50 years, been a pastor for most of that time. I am so thrilled that day after day after day in my life right now, God is taking new territory and continuing to move me in this direction. I want to teach you something that I think encapsulates the transformation process. And it's three very simple little phrases. But I'm going to say them and then I want you to repeat them with me. And I want them to sort of echo in your mind this whole week and actually at different points throughout the rest of your life. Because here's what we've signed on for when we decided to become a Christian. Okay? I'm not what I ought to be. That's out here. And I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God, I'm not what I was. Can you say that? I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God, I'm not what I was. That's God's agenda for us. I want to give you a passage of Scripture that sort of puts this all together as we wrap it up. Even before he made the world, God loved us. By the way, God saw your life. He saw your gap before he made the world, and he decided to make you anyway. Okay? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us, underline these two words, in Christ, to be made holy and without fault in his eyes. You know what that means? God chooses to see us right here, forgiven, holy and without fault, even though we still have a gap. But we are completely forgiven. And further, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself, what are the next three words? Through Jesus Christ. I want you to circle or underline those. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong, here's the next phrase to underline, to His dear Son. Now He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of, here it is, His Son and forgave us our sins. Do you remember way back at the beginning of the message, Paul said, Who's going to deliver me from this tension 
that I live in all the time and this battle. He said, thank God the answer is found in whom? Jesus Christ. All four things in there, you get the idea, the answer is Jesus. So I, as we conclude, I have two invitations to give you, and they're both from God. They're both invitations in the Bible. And the first is the invitation to follow Christ with your life. The invitation to invite God into your gap and let him begin to move you in this direction. The invitation to become a Christian. And if you can't point to a time in your life where you said, I made that decision on that day, then I want to encourage you to make that decision today. There's never a better time to invite God into your life and to begin to change your life and for you to begin to experience the freedom that only Jesus can give. There's never a better time than today. And then the second invitation is something I alluded to earlier when I said it's very easy for us to start out with this adventure of following Christ and somehow just to slip into becoming a religious person who works at a sort of religious self-help and to get frustrated and discouraged and stuck. God gives you the invitation to set that aside and to renew walking with him and inviting him back into your gap and trusting him to make you into the person you could never make yourself. That's why our third prayer is, God, help me to continually participate in your transformation process. I'm going to pray. Uh, First of all, for those of us who are already Christians. And then secondly, I will pray. uh, I will lead us in a prayer. And if if uh, if you're ready to make the decision to follow Christ with your life, for the first time, you're ready to make that decision today, you can repeat that prayer. Father, I pray for my friends. I thank you that you tell us the truth about this gap. I thank you that you have a solution for it. And I thank you, God, that we are not the solution. I thank you that you have said, I will come into your life and I will begin to change you from the inside out. Thank you for forgiving our sins. And God, for those of us who have somehow slipped off of that and slipped onto the path of thinking that if I just try hard enough and I work hard enough at my life, that somehow God will be pleased with me. God, would you help us to get back on the track? And today we just come and acknowledge that and say, God, even please forgive my, my, my desire to control my own life. Forgive my desire to try to give you a good life as my present to you. And God, we're here to say we want to receive from you the good life that only you could make of us. And then, Lord, for uh, those of us who... Uh, are ready to make this decision. God, here's the prayer we pray. And friend, if you're ready to make that decision, here's the simple prayer. Dear God, I acknowledge the gap in my life between the person I am and the person I should be. And I now know that Jesus will take me there. And so I trust him to forgive my sins and to transform my life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.